0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to 30 Brave Minutes, a podcast of the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. I'm Richard Gay, Dean of the College, and with me are Associate Deans, Dr. Joanna Hersey and Dr. Ashley Allen. Joining us today is Professor Brandon Sanderson from the Art Department, so get ready for 30 Brave Minutes. Brandon, tell us a bit about yourself, please.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm a director of the Pembroke Undergraduate Research and Creativity Center and a professor of art in the art department. My work was mostly traditional printmaking now, but it's combined with uh, new technologies, sort of new technologies such as CNC and laser and uh, um, 3D printing. And uh, it mostly revolves around a personal narrative, um, having my experiences uh, having a, a hearing disability.
2: How did you get into this field?
1: Uh, my first career was computer programming, computer oh. science. That's my first degree. And so I worked as a, I guess for about 10 years as a computer programmer and in IT. And uh, and then I decided to, if I was going to try to be an artist or go to a school for art, that I should do it while I was still relatively young.
0: Well, I had the privilege of working with you in the art department for many years, and I know you're being kind of modest. I mean, you're a very talented printmaker with a a very prolific uh, exhibition portfolio. You've exhibited internationally. Uh, You've been a great supporter of the students. So I I just uh, would love for you to tell us a little bit more about your exhibition record because I know it's quite impressive. And maybe perhaps a little bit about your work at Frogman's too? Oh, sure.
1: We just had a couple of exhibitions. Uh, one is an exhibition of work on the back of solar panels, which was distributed throughout Ukraine. And I sent you a couple of pictures of the uh, soldiers. But you put those
3: in the show notes? Great. So
1: Art okay. is a global arts collective, and I've been a member since 1996. And normally what we do is we put to, we all, it's, there's, oh, I think there's maybe like 70 of us now. I can't remember. But we all pitch in funds together and send people to different countries with the, um, with the point that it should be places that are experiencing social conflict. And we work with museums or different places to set up exhibitions that's a discussion of what's happening there, not necessarily in an expressed opinion. But with the, the solar panel project was different because we wanted to do something to actively help people. So we worked with m- some high schools in Colorado, uh, Peace Corps workers, and a couple of global health organizations and we uh, were able to get all these solar panels i think it was a a couple hundred of them and then we produced artwork that was uh, put onto the back of them with messages for the citizens and um, we just shipped them over there and we worked with an organization in ukraine to distribute them they have you know they can they can uh, purify water they can um, charge their cell phones uh, Basically, they can plug different USBs and other things into them. And so it was, it was more of a, um, some, we just wanted to do something to help people there. So
0: yeah, it's a real cool. humanitarian effort. It's-
1: yeah, yeah. We had an exhibition in the jungle in Colombia. And um, is was in an area with no electricity or running water or anything. And, and then we're, we're having an exhibition in Rwanda at the Kilgali Genocide Memorial. In a couple of weeks. And then there's one in San Diego right now. We're going to have an exhibition in June in uh, Northern Ireland. So that's what I'm doing now. And then, oh, I also have a solo exhibition at Methodist University, which is next week. And I also am director of the Frogman's printmaking workshop, which is uh, the largest printmaking workshop in the United States. And I've been involved with that for 20, 22 23 years or so. And in that, it basically, we, we get all the What we consider the best printmaking faculty in the United States altogether at the University of Iowa, which is uh, sort of one of the printmaking centers of the United States and people from all over the country and the world come and attend. And so I hope I hope run the workshop.
0: Excellent. See, as I said, you're, you've are you got a lot going on, and I appreciate you sharing that with, with the group a little bit. And uh, I would also add that I know many of our students have had the privilege of participating in activities at Frogman's, assisting, uh, learning, and it's been a really rich exp- uh, experience for our students. So um, your professional activities have a direct impact on the education of our students, and I think it's really wonderful, and it's a great example of that at the university.
3: Can you give our listeners a little bit of a rundown about exactly the scope when you say printmaking that is involved in that? What kinds of things are you doing and are our students doing? I think we can all imagine maybe a block of wood that's inked and, and stamped, but I know it's a lot more than that. Can you talk a little bit about what you do?
1: Yeah, I've always liked I always liked printmaking because I don't I like to do a lot of different things at once. And I can't just sit down and work on one type of technique and I've always called it the jack of all trades of art because it has elements of sculpture. You're etching metals, carving metals and woods and there's elements of chemistry that you have to understand in order to do lithography which is working with stones and metal plates for printing. You have to be a little bit of a mechanic in terms of like operating machinery. We use commercial printing processes that are still used today and some that go back 2000 years old because it's essentially it's essentially making art using the history of commercial printing and everything that that encompasses
3: okay so do you use mostly metal or is it a variety
1: I kind of do most of it you know I and I think that's because it's like I, I get I'll get a little bored if I just do one thing and I remember when I was a student and I was I've actually been thinking about this since I've been teaching for a while now like a lot of my professors, when I was a student, they just did the same thing, and they used the same processes, and they basically made the same art over and over again once they got to a certain point in their career, and I thought, like, for me, it's important to for myself to grow, and also as a, kind of a model for the students to be constantly, like, learning and trying to do new things, and I think it's very important for us to be students. Absolutely. You know? So yeah.
2: So, do you incorporate any of your computer science background into anything that you do with printmaking?
1: I do, especially with the uh, several grants I got, setting up software and uh, to run lasers and being being able to work on them when things go and be able to repair them affordably when things go bad. And because oftentimes, like the commercial package where it does everything for you is much more expensive. (laughs) So I'm being able to code and do certain things. I've been able to draw from that skill set.
3: What role do the lasers
1: play? Uh, Well, I actually got really interested in it because after, geez, like 30-some years of carving, like I was (laughs) having trouble with my hands. Right, sure. And so being able to take a step back from that and allow a machine to start to do some of that would allow me to stay productive. And then I started getting interested in like, how do you... Like there's people that you know. I've had students in class that can't do wood carving, and you know, can I uh, direct them to alternatives if they're still interested in printmaking? And I think that can be, you know, applied over into sculpture. So, so
3: the machine can laser cut the design that you feed it.
1: Yeah, that... they could use draw drawing processes and, which which aren't as physically physically demanding, and then take and the machine can, you know, transport. Yeah. 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 Oh.
0: One of the things I've noticed over the years of working with printmakers is that uh, the printmakers that the ones that I know tend to have a very good um, attention to detail and can work really precisely. And um, I think that's something that many people don't think about when they see a print that's been made, the amount of precision that goes into it, particularly if you're printing in multiple colors with all the registration. And also think about your work sometimes with shincole when you combine that and the, the various shapes of Shin-Koli. Uh And would you mind just talking a little bit about how you have to be precise in some of these processes to get the effects that you want in your finished work?
1: Sure. Yeah. Oh. And I think that's where my IT background was very helpful for me as an artist. And techni- you have to understand the technical processes and the, the chemistry and everything has to... You have to print things in layers, like a yellow yellow is one layer, red is another layer. They combine to produce orange, et cetera. And so you have to be able to execute all those processes correctly um, in order to get the results you want. And you also have to... Um, understand how the tools work to get the the results you want and it's kind of interesting that you mention that because after all these years of years of working super technically i feel like my work has just gotten more and more like condensed in a, in a lot of ways i've kind of, the, my my recent body of work has started to move away from that like i was when i was a student i was inspired by expressionist woodcuts mm-hmm. And so I've I've kind of returned to looser works that I could make mm-hmm. in less than a week or half a mm-hmm. week. Yeah. And just as kind of a way to ch- change things up.
0: Sure, sure. It's, it goes back to your comments about developing as an artist throughout your career and not doing the same thing all the time. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. I think our students sometimes think, OK, I am X major and I'm going to be X for the rest of my life. And that's not the case in the United States. We have an opportunity to change. And we've talked about that with other people on the podcast. You started in computer science my undergraduate degrees in biology, I got a PhD in art history. So so many of us are able to change the directions and follow our true passions. And many of us don't even know what they are when we first come to the university and we discover those as part of our growth process. So I've really valued the opportunity to be able to change my focus uh, throughout my career. And I think that also applies to making a transition from being in the classroom to being more of an administrator. It was you know, part of that continued growth as a, as a person. So I think this is a, a really valuable lesson for everyone who may be thinking about a change in, in how they work or think about things. Um, so yeah, go out and learn something new today, everybody. <laughs> yeah.
2: So Brandon, um, you are currently the director Um, of what we call PERC, the Pembroke Undergraduate Research and Creativity Center. One of the reasons um, you are perfect for this job is because you are an amazing undergraduate mentor. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you approach that relationship with students um, when it comes to helping them achieve their goals, get to their next step. What are some principles that guide you in that space?
1: Well, I've, I've always, I've been involved with PERC since I can, since almost since like the year I came here. And, uh, and I've always volunteered with every director in and on the council. And, and I don't know, I mean, I think my basic principle is like, you, you know, students that want to go above and beyond you in terms of research and exploring ideas, like our job is to facilitate that as much as possible. But it's also a great way for students I found over the years that maybe aren't that interested in grades, but are in, interested in like intellectual uh, exploration to find their way to understanding why their grades are important. So you know we, we do everything from supporting student travel to conferences nationally and regionally, to uh, paid research experiences, to small grants to introduce uh, incoming students to research. In um, all those things, I think allow us to facilitate uh, students that want to go above and beyond in different ways.
2: Yeah. What have been some of the most um, interesting or inspiring student projects that either you've worked on with your own students or that you funded um, as a director of PERC?
1: One that stands out to me was through Renee Locklear White, I believe her name was, and it was the Native American Foodways Project. And there's a couple reasons I thought that was quite interesting because she was one of the first students, online-only students, that did PERC projects and presented at PERC projects, and but she also went on to present the, her project at the, the National Council for Undergraduate Research uh, Conference in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. One of my students, that uh, Allie Horn, she did, uh, well, I don't know, maybe four or five PERC grants or student travel funds, and, and she went to several conferences, and that resulted in are being offered a full-ride of graduate school, plus a stipend. Wow. wow. So, like, everything paid for, plus they paid for a stipend every month. Wow. And so I think that, and there's numerous students that have gotten the opportunities like that, and it's really a way for those students to distinguish themselves and from all the other competition. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we're really open to, you know, if somebody has an idea, faculty or students, uh, they want to try to do something, we'll try to make it happen if we can.
0: I'd also say that PERC is open to all all disciplines, right? And so we've been given some examples in the arts, but right. they're, they're projects that come from all disciplines at the university, and so it's an opportunity to get involved no matter what um, your area of expertise is. And
3: sometimes we see them crossing, right? Interdisciplinary. Absolutely. We see. I remember some with athletics and health, and right there. Can you think of examples where we've we've seen them cross the disciplines or the colleges?
1: Well, there's been quite a few. There's been ones combining physics and art and English mm-hmm. and a variety of other things. And uh, I think what has happened is for many years, the Perk Symposium, which is our annual, annual celebration of undergraduate research, which is going to be April 10th, it it was very like science-heavy for, for a long time. And it's right. starting to grow into other areas. And as people see, they're starting to talk to each other. And come up with ideas to work across areas.
0: This is Chancellor Robin Cummings, and I want to thank you for listening to 30 brave minutes. Our faculty and students provide expertise, energy, and passion driving our region's life. Our commitment to Southeast North Carolina has never been stronger through our teaching, our research, and our community outreach. I want to encourage you to consider making a tax deductible contribution to the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Denver. With your help, we will continue our impact for generations to come. You can donate online at uinp.edu/give. Thanks again for listening.
2: So Brandon, tell us a little bit about uh, your own undergraduate research experience and whether that helped you as a student, uh, both in terms of like personal achievement at that time, but also lessons that you might have learned then that still relate to you now.
1: Yeah, I had a, um, and I think this was largely true at the time. Like when I was a student, there weren't undergraduate research centers. And I mean, I didn't even know that I, as a kind of a, coming from a rural farm background, I mean, I didn't even know what scholarships and things like that were. When I was studying computer science and art, I would um, I found out about the art program just by like I would leave my computer science labs and we would code in the labs, and I would just wander around campus to get away from the keyboard and the mm-hmm. screen. And I, found, I went over to the art building, and they were using a lot of tools that I was I had been used to using on in a farm. Um, like angle grinders and saws and and I found a professor that was ma- using this giant printing press and one day and I started talking to him and he asked me if I wanted to help him so I did and um, and then he said okay you want to learn how to hang a show so I would help him none of this was through any program it was just like I he showed me how to ha- hang an art show and then he said well you know um, you want to learn how to uh, build an airplane hangar so we built an airplane hangar,
0: <laughs> just you a know. random airplane <laughs> <No> hangar, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so
1: he was really what, going back to what you're talking about. He was had a really broad skill set that allowed him to do a lot of different things successfully, which is really important if you're transitioning or moving around different roles. Like he was a an airplane uh, mechanic. He was a, a pilot. He now he, after he's retired, now he's a flight instructor, and uh, he was a printmaker and he ran the art gallery. And he also uh, built race cars. And so just like I helped him with all this stuff. And then one day he, I think I was a sophomore, and uh, he said, uh, we're doing this art show in Mexico. Do you want to go with me? And I said, okay. And he said, we don't have any money. You got to figure out how to go make it work. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we went to Mexico City and that was my first experience with Art Nods, which is this art artist collective that I've been involved with. We went, it was a group of 50 of us from all over the United States that all went together and had a show in Mexico City. And, um, and that led to go, going to um, all kinds of opportunities, which I consider a lot of all those things to be, like, informal undergraduate research experiences because it allowed me to see, like, how I could apply, especially as, as a first-generation college student, like, how I can apply what I was learning in the classroom to maybe something... Like professional in the you know in the field or in other fields.
0: That's really an inspiring story. This idea of mentorship and the fact that it happened very organically for you, um, and this one guy clearly had a real impact on your future pro- trajectory. And I think that's something that so many of us here at UNCP aspire to because uh, we we want to be instruments of change. Uh, in a in a positive way, and I think uh, these research opportunities and mentorship opportunities are a, a perfect way to do that. And given the size of UNCP, given uh, the size of our student body and the student faculty ratio, uh, there are opportunities for this to happen across campus. Um, and I hope it's happening every day. Um, but I know you have been a great uh, mentor to many students over the years because uh, of the number of PERC um, awards you've worked with the students, both now as the director, but previously as a, as a mentor as well. We really do change lives through education here, I think.
2: Absolutely.
1: Students really, in order to be competitive and, and uh, find financial opportunities, they have to go beyond just curriculum, you know, and pursue and have a wide skill set. And what I was talking earlier about Allie Horn, um, the reason she was able to give in such a good offer for graduate school was having worked in the experience in the gallery, worked as a, um, a workshop or a you know, studio tech assistant, having undergraduate research experience and all those things that basically you can put in a graduate assistant role and be able to do any of the stuff that they would want you to do. One of our, for our recent graduates is a studio tech at a community college in Maryland. and Their art department is like 500 people. Wow. And she's a, she helps just run the, 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 that, that program.
0: We've had a lot of students go, have successful careers in the arts afterwards. We have people on faculty in, in um, Texas and a variety of places. So um, good work being done over there. And I'm glad you brought that up, because I
3: think sometimes we do fight a little bit of a myth that there's no money in the arts. And here at UNCP, the whole idea is what you said, to grow the diversity of skill set within the students of all of our majors, especially those where creativity plays a large role and there isn't a set path. Like there is a pretty set path for becoming a nurse and going on and having a career in nursing. And there's maybe less so of one in printmaking or playing the euphonium. And so this sense of really developing the student so that they can go out in a very entrepreneurial way and create this career, which you alluded to. And I think there there's a group of students that really appeals to, that that like the unknown and like the creativity of, of their own career. And we're here for offering them that. As well as nursing and those other paths
1: yeah it's uh i think in in art and in a, in a lot of creative disciplines you have to have, it, it requires you to have a broader skill set in a lot of ways than in other fields you know um it, in my own case that was certainly the, the i could have been a computer programmer and as long as i knew like the 13 programming languages and had the understanding of architecture and hardware then i had a job you know but you, you weren't required to have skills outside of that, you know, and that's a broad generalization, but that that was my experience. But in art, I felt like uh, in order to be successful, there was like a lot of other things that I had to do. And that was one reason why I was also attracted to it.
0: Well, we have two very accomplished artists. We have a great musician with us here today and Dr. Hersey, and we have a great... Printmaker over here with with uh, Professor Sanderson, and I want to wonder if you guys would mind talking just a little bit about the discipline involved in the arts. Because I think many people are under the impression that art is you're born you're born a creative genius, etc. And what I've seen is that artists of all types work really hard if they're going to be successful. And I was wondering if you could talk about the discipline in in your disciplines for
3: a bit. I'll start just by saying that I think one of the things I've always seen in our students is this idea, we sort of call it the American Idol syndrome, this sense that you're instantly successful, or you might as well forget it. And that talent goes a long way. And I know in music, a lot of us feel like talent might be this sense that you might slightly have a, a, a bit of an easier path in some ways, but it doesn't overcome the fact that a hard worker will catch up. And, and there is a bit of a sense that if you don't have the talent, you won't make a career. And I believe that you just need to keep going. And that if you really put your heart and soul into something that comes through to the audience and it might not look like what you expected when you started out, but I coach the students to find where they can feel comfortable experimenting and just staying in the game, I think is the most important thing. I don't know. in in your side of the fence in art, what do you think?
1: Yeah, it's a, I remember my very first drawing class. I had never had, like, drawing art in high school or anything. I I basically took my the work ethic that I learned on a farm and applied it to my art. And I didn't come into it with any misconceptions. And I was like, this is interesting to me. I want to be good at it. But I didn't have much, like, any background or aptitude, really. I just had to, like, but I noticed how there were a lot of students that were, like, really good right away. And by the end of this, my first semester, I had caught up to them, and then I just kept doing that. And I think, you know, the. I always tell students, like, you don't assume that, or like your limitations are going to define you. If you could just go into this willing to work and allow yourself to be so surprised, you're, you'll be amazed at what you can do, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I I'm of, often think about students when they'll, sometimes they'll say, oh, I don't have enough work for my show or whatever. And I'm like, paint another one, print another one, draw another one, play another one. It'll come. It's uh, right. that, that, the effort, the repetition. And I think that's interesting. That's something you both share as well, this idea of repetition, the rehearsal, right. repeating, repeating, and then you work in multiples, right? We didn't really discuss that, but one of the reasons uh, you're able to show all over the world is that you produce multiples of, of an object, right? Do you have any thoughts on the idea of the multiple? I do think it, it makes a big difference in how one is able to pursue a career.
1: Yeah, um, it's, it's a nice thing for me because I, I find the, the, there's a physicality to use it to, pr- to the printing process, and it's, it's like a workout. You know, the, the, the equipment's heavy, you're sweating you know, like it's, it's not like printing with a computer. And so it's kind of, it's like uh, bricklaying or a a lot of other carpentry or a lot of other things in many ways. And I find it very meditative, and but it also allows, like in terms of selling work, it allows me to sell work that would otherwise cost thousands of dollars, the hundreds of dollars level. And so that it has kind of a in that way uh, accessibility and democratic quality to it but and then going going back to uh, what we were talking about discipline the one thing I tried to I try to explain to students is that you know you have to be willing to fail mm-hmm. and make mistakes and you have to be willing to put I mean even just what's required in class to get a certain grade if you want to be really good at this you have to be willing to go way above and beyond that and you know, I explain how I, I actually log my hours for what, my work, and and I have to like for my own research, and and I think those of us that have been doing this for such a, for a long time really understand this. Is like I say, this is the most time you're probably ever going to be able to have to work on this stuff, and in the future, like in ten or fifteen years, you're going to have to schedule that time, or it won't happen, in order to practice and make your yes. you make yes. your work and. My my studio time is totally scheduled now. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's hard to carve out, but I think it's a joy to carve it out and still be doing it. And we tell the students yeah. too, it's not pie like there. There's room in the career, and so it's not like there's only a certain amount, and you'll get there and have to push someone out of the way. Like there's room for your printmaking and my printmaking, and your tuba playing and my tuba playing, because it won't be the same if it's truly authentic. And there's room for all of them out there in the world to create and make money doing that, but yeah, they're gonna to have to try things that don't work 1st
0: yeah. <laughs> thinking about the application of that in the in writing, right? How many times oh do we gosh. rewrite that paragraph to get it right? And right? then you get it, yeah. and then it feels so yeah, yeah it feels so good.
2: So, Brandon, tell us what's next for you, and uh, what's on the horizon for Perk.
1: Well, uh, Perk, we're just trying to uh, grow and and be. In- Include more people and um, from different disciplines and areas and colleges, and so that that's gonna. Well, I'm I'm hoping that that'll be something that'll happen at the April 10th Perk Symposium, and then for me, I have uh, the, uh up some upcoming international exhibitions, and I'm excited to be taking my work in a different direction.
0: Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I think I could keep talking about the arts for uh, a long time to come. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Brandon. And I, I know this is just uh, the tip of the iceberg of the great work you're doing here at UNCP. And I uh, really am thankful that you took time to come share with us today. So thank you. Thank
3: you, really. This podcast was edited and transcribed by Joanna Hersey, and our theme music was composed by Riley Morton.
0: This content is copyrighted by the University of North Carolina at Pembroke and the College of Arts and Sciences. It is to be used for educational and non-commercial purposes only and is not to be changed all to be used in any commercial endeavor without the express written permission of authorized representatives of UNCP. The views and opinions expressed by the individuals during the course of these discussions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views, opinions, and the positions of UNCP or any of its subsidiary programs, schools, departments, or divisions. While reasonable efforts have been made to ensure that information discussed is current and accurate at the time of release, neither UNCP nor any individual presenting material makes any warranty that the information presented in the original recording has remained accurate due to advances in research, technology, or industry standards. Thanks for listening, and Go Bullies!